control of your own skill set is most important. You can't count anything other than that. Yeah. Is growing your career in a way that causes you to understand how the connection points are in an organization. of Alabama's Clubhouse College Business, it's Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories from most people who both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens, on the show today, Dennis Schuler. This is our last episode of part of our five-part series with Dennis, in which he shares some of his hopes and dreams and aspirations for the future. I hope you enjoy. When you look back um, at your time, and obviously you're still working sure. vigorously nowadays, yep. Let's talk about the transition. Yes, at my advanced age, Cole. Thank you for that. Yes. Uh, sorry, uh, young retired age, and then go back into work. You look back, and you do contribute a lot more freedom to private equity. A lot of people know about it, but they don't actually know it. Yeah. What is your take on private equity and what it serves? I think private equity is. Uh, it's listen. I've had the benefit of working. Um, I feel really blessed because I've worked at some of the best companies, the marquee names, you know, Procter, Kellogg, Disney, or there's not much better in terms of quality of company. NXP in its own right, which was a spin-out from Phillips, has done quite well. It's the hot stock of the market right now, if you read Fortune. Um, Scripps was a great company. It was born out of a, of the CEO's vision for HGTV. Um, so I've, I've had a really opportunity to work for some really good publicly traded companies. Private equity, though, for me is even more fun. And I I never thought I'd say that because uh, I had these really nice experiences at publicly traded. And it's not one that's better one that's better than the other. It's just, I guess, different in that private equity, you're dealing with private funds, private invested funds. Right. And so you don't have the quarter by quarter drag on you. You're not worried about, you know, what's next quarter? What do we hold back? What do we pull forward to make the quarter? None of the, all that goes away. Right. What it's replaced with is, you know, you're going to hold a company typically four years. You need to get what you need to get done in terms of your transformation agenda done within your first 24 months. Okay. So it puts a premium on strategy choice, pace of decision making, and quality of talent. Those three things have to be operative and unison to each other. And once that clicks, you know, click, click, um, then the business moves at a lightning pace. And it can be a little um, disarming to people that are coming from public trade environments. It's like, whoa. I mean, it's like, and there's great thinking in PE. You know, it's not, we just threw it against the wall and it's like really thoughtful leadership, but a, a decision-making cadence that's light speed ahead of what normally publicly traded companies do. And that's not a critique necessarily in publicly traded companies because publicly traded companies have shareholders in their public domain. They're responsible. They, they have to be reports. responsible to board and the quarter and the street and so forth and the shareholders. Um, PE is a little bit different. Um, they've got shareholders, you know, fund holders that have invested in the company. Right. But they're usually working on how to accelerate a company's growth path. So. Mm -hmm. The decisions we might deliberate in a publicly traded company that might take months to decide get decided in weeks. It's like, let's go. Okay. Um, the other thing I like it is that um, it rewards high performance. Um, you know, in big companies, this tyranny of the middle, which is you know you got people that you know Johnny's been here a long time, 
And, you know, he's he's a good soul, but he's really not contributing. So let's just leave him alone at private equity. It's like, listen, if you're not contributing, you're not playing. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a little uh, more, I think, discerning on performance, which yeah. I kind of like, particularly now that I'm late in my career. You know, I, I don't suffer fools very gladly. So it's like <laughs> you, either you can or you can't. And if you can, it's great. If you can't, let's move on to somebody else that can. The reward in private equity is taking a business that the founder had created and they know they can't get it to the next level of performance and doing that for them on their behalf and having them see the enrichment at various levels, you know, financially, obviously, right. but more of the pride that they have in seeing their business blossom to something they couldn't do on their own. And that's when that partnership between what we call the sponsor, the private equity sponsor, and the local organization gets connected, and it's just great. I mean, there's several examples where, you know, we partnered well with entrepreneurs that had a kernel of an idea about a business and through their own sweat equity build it to a certain level, and then we took it much further with our abilities to fund it and to put good talent in. And not only did they get a financial big reward, but they created this business that created lots of jobs and reputational value for the firm. And that's fantastic. It's great to yeah. be part of that. Sounds like a great industry. And I'm glad you were able to find that, especially with more freedom and you know, <clears throat> maneuverability. I guess there's a couple more questions I have. I know we're going to get you out of here on yeah. time. When you look at your time in Alabama, obviously you spent mm. 18 months, maybe we'll call it two years at Alabama. But you seem very committed to it when it comes to coming back, attending the mm -hmm. you know, Board of Visitors meetings, as well as some of the football games, which, I mean, yeah, can't be Alabama football. You got to do, do that. It. What has been <clears throat> one or two experiences that really stuck with you from your time here at Alabama? Oh, God, there's so many, Cole. Um, you know, I, I think as a young person, uh, again, I came down here in 1978 with a, this is a car that's no longer made by a company that doesn't exist. This was a gremlin. Yep. It looked like a shoe on wheels. It was cool. I thought it was cool. Um, I had Levi seats, jean seats, and that made it even cooler because uh -huh. they were faded and they were ripped just like a pair of jeans were. It was kind of cool. But it belched oil and it was just a, it was a dog of a car. I remember driving it on a campus here. And I was kind of embarrassed about it because, you know, there's a lot of daddy money down here too. <laughs> I'm showing up the poor kid from the North. But, you know, people, uh, again, I go back to the fact they didn't care about that. They cared about you as an individual. They didn't care where you were from. They thought I was kind of unique and different coming from the North at the time. So, you know, taking this personal interest in me made a huge amount of difference uh, that stayed with me. I mean, mm -hmm. and I can't articulate it in words, but it, it happened at every element in my career. I go back to you know, folks like Barry Mason, who every time I came in, he's a very busy guy as a dean. He'd always create an hour for me. He just wanted to, you know, what are you learning? What are you doing? Mm. What would you, what would you observe that we could do better in the business school? You know, a lot of the, we're sitting in Bidwood. A lot of the branding that was done came out of a discussion that Barry and I had like, listen, Barry, I come to this business school. There's nothing that tells me it's a business school. You got a bunch of bird pictures yeah. on the ground floor. They're still there, by the way. They're, They're still, still there. there. I understand. It's a donor that donated them. I get that. But they've been put in its proper place. But there ought to be display boards. You ought to have CNBC running here. You ought to brand the school as, a, as what it is, which is a business, business school. school. Right. And, of course, now Houston Hall has taken it to a whole level 
uh, dimension that Kay and her team has, has built. Um, but that ability to come back at, and work with people that cared about you, that they did personally for me, and to be able to come back and work to them, work with them. I mean, Jim Cashman, it took me 10 years to call him Jim. He was always Dr. Cashman. It, it took me a long time to get over that. You know, these guys are faculty and they, they need to be addressed as doctors. Right. You respect them. You respect, <clears throat> respected them highly. Right. But at some point you become peer and then it becomes even more fun. Now it's like, hey, let's exchange ideas. What are you doing? What are you working on? What are you what are you thinking? How, you know, and then you come back with the students and you you and the students are so impressive here. I mean, it's really super impressive. And every year they seem like they're stronger. Your STEM students now are just lights out. They're just fabulous. They're blowing through the, the STEM path, yeah. the MBA. I mean, some of those graduates are worlds ahead of a lot of those. Fantastic. Students. And, you know, and personally, part of it is coming back and feeling like you're a young person again. Like when I come back here, I feel like I'm 25 again. I don't feel it. I don't look <laughs> it by any means. But I do... It brings it all back. There's a flood of memories that come back of stumbling up the steps at Bid Good and bumping into Barry Mason and, you know, having Lena wear a glass with Lena down and say, what do you want from me, Mr. Schuler, today? How are you? Those things just made imprints on me that um, have been lifelong that encourages me, compels, might even be the, a stronger verb to use, that I just want to come back and give back. So you won't you won't see big flashy checks from me. That's not where I give service. I give service to the students. So, you know, what I like to do is come in and if I can teach a few classes like I did today, I can meet with a broad representation of students and listen to them in terms of what their concerns are and help them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also try to get companies to come recruit here mm -hmm. at Alabama because I think that's still an opportunity for us to get more and more companies to come and recruit these great students. It's all part of, you know, the full circle of giving back. They gave to me in ways that I can never, ever repay. And I'm trying to do in my small way what I'm doing and, you know, my work to help kind of pay it forward, the old movie. But it's true at the end of the day. When you look at your, <clears throat> your life growing up, career, <clears throat> and now where you're at in life, is there anything you would change? Not a lot. Um, you know, my wife and I talked a lot about that. I, I grew up with my wife. We, I've known her since I was seven years old. Wow. We've been married 40, I'm going to get myself in trouble here, 1980, 42 years. And we dated since we were in high school. So it's probably 50 years of relationship. And, you know, we grew up in a small little town farming community. And we, both our families were lower middle class. You know, we, we had food on the table, but it was basic. It was barely there. Um, and we were able to, I wouldn't call it escape, that would be too harsh of a word, but we were able to get out of what the normal thing was, which is you live and you died 35 miles from where you grew up. We were able to move past that. I don't know how we did it. I got brothers that have stayed in the area. She has families that have stayed in the area. Um, but we did, I think we had each other that helped, but I think it had these events that like she came here for three months. And she was Trevor's secretary for three months. Okay. So she got a little Alabama in her the long yeah. way, which I think has paid dividends as, as we're now um, adults, if you will, uh, in business. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure I change anything at all. I wish I had more time. Everybody wants more time. Like, God, I'm 66 now. I can't believe it. 
you know, it was just yesterday I felt like I was 40. If I look at old pictures, like I've got a number of old pictures when I was in my 30s in Jim Cashman's office. I'm going, God, I, where do the years go by? So if I could change one thing, I'd rewind the clock a little bit so I could replay the same thing. But I don't think I changed much because the relationships here have been so rich, so deep, so meaningful. Um, I mean, I have these, I could talk forever, but, you know, these small little things that happen when you're down here, like uh, Jim uh, introduced me to Jack Warner. And I'm at Jack's house. And Jack was a, was a great art collector, as you know. And he comes down, he says, hey, you're a big, uh, you're a big history guy. And I go, yeah, he goes, come with me. We go down in his basement. And he, he puts this bowl in my hands and, he, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pewter kind of bowl and it's got PR in the back of it. And it's like Paul Revere. He says, this is one of the pieces that Paul Revere made. Oh, holy crap. And he says, here's Robert Easley's death mask. And I mean, he was a connoisseur of art. You don't meet people like that. You're no, at least I didn't growing up, but you got those opportunities through working with this university yeah. on the board and other creation, other connections that the faculty created for me. So if I can create some of those memories for other people, young people that are here that, hey, this person visited and they took an interest in me and they helped me, then that's that's kind of the, the reward for them at the end of the day. And then I'll wrap up this, this one question, talking about the current student. There's a lot of lessons that can be learned from your own life. Sure. But what would you recommend current students really focus on when they're trying to look for success or maybe a path in life? Well, you know, the path in life is a pretty philosophical one. It's like that is the unanswerable question. Like, what do you really want to do with your life? Um, is it is it money that's going to motivate you? Is it making a difference in society? Is it philanthropic? I mean, everybody has their, their interests, right? I think generally speaking, and I've underlined generally, um, I think what young people need to think about doing is we live right now in the era of mass resignations. You know, people are just like, hey, I haven't enough. COVID has inspired a lot of that. But I think a lot of it built years earlier mm. where people listen to their moms and dads talk about the factory is going to close or uh, we're going to lay off a bunch of people or dad or mom going, God, I could be next. And I think what this generation now has taken from that is self is the only control you have. Development of yourself is really only control you have in life. So if you can join a company that they're going to give you what you need and you can learn, um, that's great. When it gets stale, I'm off to do something else. I think that's your generation now. And I think it's smart. I think it's a smart play. I think the other is, so it behooves companies to be better at uh, creating environments where young people can learn and continue to learn because when it gets stale, they're off. And they're not going to give you a notice. They're like, they're gone. That's yeah. what's different. Give it two weeks, I'm out. Yeah. And God, my generation, again, generalizing was, ah, I don't know if I should leave or not. And I want to get a gold watch. And it's like young people are like, if my kids, like, why would you work anywhere for the period of time that you worked at? You know, two or three years here, off to do something else. But I think I think that's one of the trends. But that, that's not the most important trend in my book, Cole. I think that young people, because um, again, control of your own skill set is most important. You can't count anything other than that. No, is growing your career in a way that causes you to understand how the connection points are in an organization. Mm. 
So for example, we talked about HR people need to know the business better. So taking assignments outside your function is what I would commend to HR people early in their careers. What you think about an engineer in the supply chain? You know, engineering, why wouldn't you want to work in customer service or logistics or mm. running a team in manufacturing to kind of build out your supply chain right, experience base? Or any company is multidimensional. Or why, as a marketer, would you not want to spend time in sales so you can understand, and maybe even manufacturing, understand what it's like when you build a plan and what the end result is in terms of making product and how we sell it. Mm. So I think what I would recommend to young people would be to not think about their careers as up a functional silo, because I think that is, I mean, that's, you could still be successful that way, but I think the pathway for more control around your own skill set and your own career is lateral. Okay. So deferring the sensation of, I got to be promoted, and instead replacing that with, I'm going to go wide, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go deep. I'm going to understand my function, but I'm going to understand all the connection points around it. I think that's where you get leverage, ultimately, that when you see connection points, that's where speed gets realized in a business. When a business can understand all the interlocking parts come together, when leaders can visualize that and function within that, that's a that's a speed accelerator. And I think the same holds true for careers. So if I was going to change one thing in my own career, I would have probably spent more time earlier. I did I did like six years outside the function in manufacturing, but I wish I'd done a little bit more. I wish I had, like I was invited to go into brand management when I was p and mm-hmm. And I said, nah, I like HR. I want to stay there. But I, I wish I kind of done that because it would have taught me more about the commercial function. Uh-huh. It probably would have been, but I would have probably been a better leader as a result. Um, so I think that um, young people, this generation, I think going wide, having multiple assignments across functional disciplines is kind of a smart play and kind of resisting the promotion every two or three years thing, at least mm-hmm. early in your career and say, listen, your first five to seven is building block time. Build it out. And that becomes a wide base then to build the rest of your career on as opposed to a narrow functional skill set that you may move up the ladder very quickly, but you may get marginalized at some point because somebody else had a wider base of experience that can see the connections that you can't because you didn't have that experience early in your career. That's kind of where I think it's going to go. That concludes our final episode with Dennis Schuler. This has been an amazing series with Dennis. I'm happy that I was able to break it up into five individual episodes. There's a lot of great content inside of these, so please go back and listen to them to learn so much about the HR world and what Dennis has done not only in his career, but also for the university. And thanks so much for listening to the show today. If you're not a subscriber, do subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College of Business and what it has to offer. And as always, roll tide.